Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I am your host, Jana Denton-Howes, and it's an absolute delight to have you here. I'm a marriage and intimacy educator, as well as a creator of the Wanting It More program, which has helped thousands of women who are married to men want and enjoy it more in the bedroom. You know, having low desire was something that I personally struggled with for years in my marriage, so I absolutely get it all. You are not alone. Just a heads up, I use all the words in this podcast, so if you've got little ears around or you're in public setting, you may want to pop in some earbuds. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we get into the episode today, I want to share some exciting news. In preparation for our June-July round of Wanting It More, I'm hosting a free live introductory class called Wanting It More 101, Increase Interest and Enjoyment Without Pressure or Guilt. This would be fantastic for you to attend if you like the themes on the podcast and want a more in-depth, step-by-step look at how to want and enjoy sex more. There will be a live Q&A at the end, which is actually the only opportunity other than within my program to get your questions answered by me personally in real time. You can join as a couple or alone, whatever works best for you, but the class is directed towards women who are married to men. It's 90 minutes long and the two times I'm offering it are on Monday, May 15th at 5 p.m. Pacific time and Thursday, May 18th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. There will be a recording, but I really encourage you to attend live because it's incredibly powerful and healing to be in a space with hundreds of other women who understand what you're going through. The feedback I receive usually says something like, oh my gosh, I finally realized I'm not alone. Because, you know, with this topic, we all feel very alone and like our situation is very unique. So to go to register, to register, go to janetandhenhouse.com slash free class. The link will also be in the show notes. It is on Zoom, but for this class, I do use a special feature so that your video and audio is not on. And unless you choose to participate in the chat with your real name, nobody will know you're there. I really can't wait for these classes. I only get to run them three times a year and they're honestly so much fun. So if it feels like a good next step for you, go ahead and grab a spot and I'll see you there. And also, I hope you enjoy the episode today. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. We have another conversation today. I'm really excited to be able to chat with Erin. Erin is a recent graduate from our last round of Wanting It More, and she is so brave to come on and talk about sex with all of you. So Erin, why don't you give us a little bit of a background, uh, who you are, uh, what matters to you, what your family situation is like? Um, I am 41 years old and I've been married for 10 years to the best guy. <laughs> we had a little struggle at the beginning, but now he's the best guy. Um, we have two fantastic kids under the age of seven and um, we live in the Southwest United States uh, we love to travel and we love, well, and I've been, I know I'm very passionate about everyone having their rights <laughs> right now, you know, <laughs> which is a big deal in the United States. So yeah, um, it's such a huge deal. And how are you feeling about doing this conversation? I- I'm feeling good about it. Like, I feel like these are the conversations we need to be having Um, especially when people are trying to take voices away from people and we need to just push through and talk about things that are uncomfortable and shouldn't be uncomfortable because it's a natural thing. (laughs) I know we're all doing it. I was talking to my counselor the other day about my work and why I'm doing this and what I'm passionate about. And I was saying, go to the grocery store. Everyone's having sex. Like people may have just come from having sex. Like, why are we so freaking messed up about this? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to say the first word that comes to my mind is religion. Right. <laughs> That's, That's so interesting. And why does that come to your mind immediately? Um, I just, I'm not a religious person. Um, I was raised uh, to have a religious like education in the sense that I know that religion exists. I know that there are many religions. I was confirmed in a congregational church, but I think mostly from an educational standpoint, you know, and um, I just the reason I'm not religious is because I just feel like there's just too much telling you what to do. 
you know, and just telling actually more than you, but telling other people, mm. what to do, you know, I also believe that it's like the reason so many wars have been fought. Yeah. And it seems like the absolute antithesis of what religion is supposed to be, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. What so, do you think religion is supposed to be? I'm fascinated by this topic. We'll get to <laughs> sex, but let's talk about religion for a second. Um, it, I mean, it should really be about your relationship with higher power and you becoming the best person you can be, which includes being nice to people. Yeah. I always tell my, my kids, cause you know, they're little. And so you know, they're learning about sharing or not sharing and, or, you know, keeping learning about their emotions and what people's words mean or not mean, we know. Um, but I say the worst thing in the world you can be is mean. Mm-hmm. I just, it is, that is the worst thing in the world to me is to be mean. And I just think there's a lot of hatred that's coming out of some very conservative religion right now, mm-hmm. you know, and I, whether they mean to or not, but, you know, d- hate not wanting someone to be the way that they are. I just think that's a, that's a form of being very mean. And I think it's wrong. So, and, and religion is all about the right path. Like It doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) We're vibing on the same frequency around this. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, it's really cool. Um, I love these open conversations about like, obviously sex, religion, (laughs) all the difficult stuff. Yeah money yes. I should start a podcast about money too <laughs> yeah I like all those conversations too I can't say that I'm very good at having them with people that don't share the same view says me I will be honest about that but there's a lot of um there's a big void there's a big space that's been created I think by a lot of misinformation that is upsetting so yeah do you have, you seem to have like a fierceness within you. Like uh, you're, you feel like you sound like an advocate to me. Is that something that's part of your personality in life? Yes, it has become more so. Um, honestly, and I can just be completely honest and say whatever I want here. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> you're like going too political or anything like that is not no. going to bother you. No. Okay. I, I really, it really happened after the Trump, Trump even became a candidate. Um, I was pregnant with my daughter and my first baby. Um, and I was over the moon crying on a bed pregnant with my daughter when Hillary was the first woman to be nominated, you know, and then like watching what happened with social media misinformation and tearing her down. And, and then we ended up with this megalomaniac like who is the absolute opposite of anything that the conservatives should want to have as a leader so it's like this is the end of democracy this is like the end of the united states like um and i absolutely do not think that the united states is the greatest country in the world by any means i believe that it could be if it actually held up to its ideals I do believe that. And I believe that it could happen because I'm an optimist. And I believe that in general, the American people are good people. But that was like the moment that I was like, oh my God, the world. <laughs> like, I remember seeing this meme that it was like this, it was this cartoon. I don't know where it came from, but there were people sitting around this little fire. And the whole world had disappeared. And they were like, and, and the headline was the, like, the little line was like, well, I just didn't like Hillary's voice. Mm. And I was like, oh. you know, like it felt like that had happened. And it's still feeling like that. It feels like, but fortunately, the one thing that's come out of it is just, there's been a lot of activism with people like me who've never, I mean, I look back at my voting record and I was one of those 20 year olds who didn't vote in the midterms, you know, <laughs> like, no, not, 
Um, so now I just, I've become very, I, I not very because there's only so much I can do as a mom to little kids. Um, and I also recently got diagnosed with MS. So that's taken my, my like need to not be stressed out to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about voting rights and, and public education. Um, so those are the two things that, and all the other stuff, but I believe all of that starts with voting rights. You know, if you get the voting in place, if you had a 90% uh, voting rate, you would take care of um, everyone's rights, climate change, and education. Like all of the things would be good for everyone if everyone voted, because I believe that most people think that everyone should have their right to be themselves and live in a happy world. Yeah. Was that election experience for you? Did it bring up fears around being a woman and bringing a daughter into the world? Oh, absolutely. And even more so though, um, what's interesting is that two and a half years later, I had a baby boy and when I found out that he was a boy, I cried for two weeks. Mm. And I feel terrible about that because he is the best little boy. Like he is the, he is just the most kind little boy. And I hope that he continues to be that way forever. Cause he is just, he never, he always thinks of everyone first, everyone else first. <laughs> always. His sister on the other hand is not quite like that, but she's the oldest child, you know, and she's a girl you know, with a very strong personality and that's good. Yeah. But Leo is always just, oh, I got to get this for Penny. He always picks one out for Penny first. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, I cried for two weeks because I was just like, I don't want to bring more men into this, into this world. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't. And then somebody was like, well, we need more men like, you know, your husband. I'm like, yeah, sure. Now, my womb was supposed to be carrying, you know, a sweet little child for us to have a nice little family. But now it's like this. <laughs> now I have to bring in this man so I can raise him right and he can make a better world. I'm like, I didn't ask for that. Thank you. <laughs> but but now I'm gladly taking on that. Um, but I, I really, yeah, like, I do think that that election did have a lot to had something to do with my feelings over bringing a boy into the world too because it was just feels like sometimes even as an optimist it feels like the world is on fire and it's all it's all men's fault (laughs) that's how I feel it's so it's so easy when you feel threatened by a society a culture as we're living in a patriarchal culture to to do that because we want our brains want to identify the source of the threat and mm-hmm. be very hyper vigilant about it and learn all about it and make it very black and white. That's yeah. good, that's evil. And if we can just expel the evil, then we'll be safe again. Mm-hmm. So what has having has having a boy changed that a little bit for you and given you a different perspective? Um I still think the men are making the world bad. <laughs> the men in charge, um, not well, not all of them. Uh, clearly, I mean, I was I was happy about the election of Biden. I know there's a lot of people who don't want him to run again, but I he represents a man who can make who can change to me. Mm. Like he's been around for so long, and when you look back at, like for instance, when they were, I'm not going to get like exact terminology because I. I was little when this happened, but when uh, Clarence Thomas was being, he was like basically on trial for his misconduct with someone. And I don't remember her name. I apologize for that because she should be the number one person we remember. Um, But Biden said some things that were like, but it was like, it was a long time ago. He would never say, I mean, he might say something like that now, but someone could tell him, hey, you're not supposed to say that. And he'd be like, oh, I get it. You know, that's what he represents to me is a man, as my, my dad always talks about white men, you know, white men is another white man thing. And um, in the sense that my dad understands that white men have some learning to do, but he feels like a white man who 
is open to learning and knows that we need to learn, you know? So um, I don't know how, where I got back to that, but you were asking me um, if having a boy had changed that. Um, I don't know if having a boy changed that. I think it's just that I can, because of things that have happened, like I just brought up the election of Biden, I, it makes me able to more recognize that we do need to give men a little more leeway, good men, you know, to understand that, um, give them a moment to like understand why things are not, why those things were not right in the past. Kind of like what you're talking, it, it takes a little while for husbands to kind of understand what we're doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so I don't know if I got it may that. not be men. I mean, this is, this is something I grapple with a lot as well, mm -hmm. because yes, there's a lot of really horrific things being happening. Often men are uh, perpetrating that. Or... Mm -hmm. So, but it may not be men or even masculinity. It may be the domination that has been ruled, used for ruling up until now. It may be the lack of respect for all genders. It may be the inability to listen and believe women, which is a cultural thing. I mean, it's like we're all, we're all affected by and against culture. And mm -hmm. in a patriarchal culture, yeah, it may seem like it benefits men, but does it really, like really right. in the long run? Right. It, and no, there's, I, it, and I, but that, and that all I think comes back to just power, like this need to be in power and, um, not and when you have this like focus on wanting to be in power you don't recognize that when you give power to other people it lifts you up you know especially women there's there's some and i i haven't looked back and find like the data but there was a um there was a company that um makes menstrual underwear and they had all of these statistics and um one of the statistics that always sat in my mind was that when you give a woman a hundred dollars, seventy-five dollars goes back into the community. But when you give a man seventy hundred dollars, only thirty-five dollars goes back into the community. And why wouldn't you give more to women to create a? I mean, clearly, women, for whatever reason are more drawn to creating a better world community, which is better for everybody. Like I, I just, I don't know that that's a, I think a power dynamic. There's something about power that just mm, overtakes the brain, you know, for some, I mean, looking at, I'm just thinking about what's going on in Sudan right now. Like I am just like, it blows my mind that these two men just decided to I, I don't know, start shooting at each other like I, what <laughs> like it's just it's insane for what it's for power for what what do you get out of that what do you want out of that you know just to sit on a hill and be on the top of a hill you know and look down at everybody else what are you getting out of that mm -hmm. yeah you I know? think it comes from profound and deep insecurity Mm. And, yeah. and why, why is that? You know, we, we see that men at age four are systematically given less physical affection from their parents. They are encouraged less and less to speak about their emotions actually becomes dangerous. We, we give men so few options for mm. feeling like they belong and feeling like they're valued. And so, yeah, it's such a, it's such a systemic thing. And I just, I just think that these little, these little things that we're doing, even in our sex lives, you know, yeah. we'll actually make a difference to this greater issue that we're facing this inequality that's going mm -hmm. on. And that's one of my biggest motivating 
factors for doing the work that I do is to bring some more of that um, to marriages, which I really see as sort of a building block of society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So how has this related this feeling of, well, did you identify as a feminist before? I, yes. I, I mean, yes. I always hated that word though, because I was like, why do we have to have a word for the equality of women? Why aren't women just equal? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And then it gets demonized, you know, for feeling like, I mean, like, well, actually what's wrong with you for not thinking I am a whole person just as important as you. I mean, why do I have to have a word to describe that? Almost, You know, I, I, that's a little silly. We always I have to have words for movements, but yes, always, I have always felt that way. And I think, um, fortunately I, I grew up in a house where, I mean, I just never in my own house, like with my parents, um, I never felt like, you know, I have a little brother. I have a sister and a little brother. I have a younger sister and a, and a younger brother. My brother is six years younger than me. And my sister is two years younger than me. So my sister and I are both like even, you know, my brother, I always looked at as my baby brother because I remember when he was little. But I never in my own household felt like there was anything different about me as a girl. You know, I did built things with my dad and, um, and like, just it was just never a thing like me being a girl didn't make me lesser in my household you know I never felt that way at all in my grander family like there was some patriarchy there is some strong patriarchy in my grander family but that's also a um it's because of the time that they grew up in you know I mean my grandmother though is a matriarch absolutely she worked always um, I mean my grandparents just retired in October and they are 89 and 91 you know and my grandmother she's she was for you know mostly the boss she is she's the boss but then you know there were there are moments when you know, my grandfather sold a house and didn't tell her you know so even though there's a lot of respect there was still like I mean, and granted, he did those things thinking he was doing what was best for them in the long run. But um, there, there's that element of patriarchy that comes from growing up in the 30s, you know, and my grandfather growing up with nothing so, so, so poor um, and doing what he needed to do to make money, you know, yeah. so. Um, so in general, I think in my own household, they didn't. But I was, you know, I look back at tv shows and movies movies that i love that now i'm showing my kids and i'm like oh whoa whoa this is whoa <laughs> no wonder no wonder girls are like yeah we're like a little like gotta be a little less so than men you know <laughs> yeah and what was that like how did that translate into your experiences um like your sexual experiences growing up um well I was talking about this with my husband recently about um, where the the issue of safety, when you bring it up and recognize that what you're feeling in certain situations is you not feeling safe. Um, I realized that I haven't felt safe since I was five, let's say five, because I have been... Yeah, my and my husband, he he finally was able to equate it with a equate the feeling. He could he could understand the feeling because when I was pregnant, I wanted to have sex all the time. All the time. Like it was amazing. Like I say, why can't we have a pill like that? Like if someone you could pop a pill and want to have sex all the time, great, cool. You know, <laughs> like like I, I don't know if that's a possibility, but I, I wanted to have sex all the time when I was pregnant. It was fantastic. I felt very like empowered. I was like, finally, I was like, I am a grown up. I get to do this and it is okay. You know, it is okay. It is what you're supposed to do. And my husband said, yeah, I remember that. And, and we had 
at the end of my pregnancy with my son, like I didn't want him to be induced. I wanted to come when he wanted, wanted to, but my my OB was not going to let him go up more than a week. Right. He's going to be evicted. And, um, and all, I was like, okay, well we have to have sex. And he wouldn't have sex. My husband would have sex. I'm like, you're going to regret this. Cause then I, after this baby's out, we're done for a while, you know? And I bring that up sometimes, but he's like, I realized that when you were like that, I felt hunted. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I've been feeling hunted since I was six. You know, I used to be chased on the playground with little boys telling me they wanted to feel my private. I'm like, this, I'm like, yes, this is, since I was six years old, I've never been safe, you know? Uh, I, it just, so that in itself, like initially makes you feel unsafe with sexual stuff, right? Stuff that you weren't supposed to, you would hope that you wouldn't have to experience when you were six years old, you know? And then beyond that, into high school, when you start exploring these things, you know, then it was a taboo thing. And I, um, I, that's one thing. And again, it's a, um, what is the generational, generational, you know, um, when I had had sex for the first time, I thought I had gotten pregnant. Um, and I brought it to my mom and I didn't want her to tell my dad. <laughs> though my dad was a doctor that was pretty relatively close to my dad but he was my dad was uh he could be scary you know because that's how dads are sometimes um but the irony is that he was he's a doctor but sex was like didn't exist you know (laughs) like especially when it came to his daughters probably a number one um but my mother did tell my dad and um, at a very bad time, he was not the best time for it to tell my father. And uh, it was when I was away in Spain, I was going to be coming home. I was 16 years old and I was planning on staying with my boyfriend in, he was in college at the time. Anyway, I came home and apparently my mother had told my father about this. My father asked what we were using for protection. And she said to him, a wing and a prayer. <laughs> I'm like, great. So uh, I didn't know this. I'm coming home, been away for two weeks. I come home and I'm with my boyfriend and my parents in a hotel room. And my dad says, I need to speak to you. He takes me out of the room. We walk down. I have a very strong memory of this. We're walking down the hall. She's like, so your mother tells me that you've had sex. And uh, basically like that it's a wing and a prayer. And I was like, oh my God, no, we've used condoms. We've used condoms. But this is like, and he's like, well, now you have to go see a gynecologist. And I don't think it's appropriate that you're staying with your, with your boyfriend tonight and then we go back into the room (laughs) and that's like my first talk about sex and prior to that my mother had basically left a book on my bed that was it was called our bodies our lives or something our bodies ourselves changing but but, yeah something like that yes (laughs) i had the same book (laughs) changing lives or something like that. Yes. Our bodies, ourselves are like, <laughs> so that, that was the extent of my sex talk with my parents. And I don't know what it sounded like to you, but for me, it was very fear-based. <laughs> you know? So I had six-year-old boys chasing me around, making me feel terrorized. And then up to high school when maybe someone should have talked to you about this being normal and start exploring in a safe way. There was, uh, yeah, I think it's inappropriate and go see a a gynecologist. (laughs) What was your first experience like? Um, not great. I was, um, I remember it being in, I mean, it was a lovely space and my, it was my high school boyfriend's he was a nice guy. Um, not someone I 
would ever have spent the rest of my life with. Um, but I remember his cousin walking in on us and made like, as like it joking, like a joke. And I was like, oh, again, <laughs> not, not great. Very like, like something you're not supposed to be doing, you know, like shameful. Right. Thing. Did yeah. you know, did you know about orgasms or your clitoris or anything like that? Or is it just sort of the penis goes in and out and that, that's what sex is? No, I think I did know, but I have no idea why I would have known because I will say that, um, well, I guess it was a couple years later that I actually experienced an orgasm for the first time through masturbation. Mm-hmm. And that's when I said, well, yes, this is, you should have this. Like that's, that is part of sex. Like it's not fair that one person gets to experience this and the other one does not, you know, uh, not to say that if you can't get there, it's not a pleasurable experience, but if you can, you should, and no one should tell you otherwise, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, and then, um, you know, I listened to your first podcast and I was so, I felt such a connection with that experience of it being like a show. I mean, I probably get what she said exactly incorrect, but I, she put a light bulb off in my head about like, about her experience being, I was like, that is me too. Like I, it was a lot of show, you know, like what I was supposed to do, what was supposed to look good, what was supposed to, it wasn't based, I wouldn't say it was, I mean, clearly it was based on social imaging, but only like, you know, like any television show, not any like porn. I don't even remember the first time I saw porn, Um, but it wasn't at a young age, that's for sure. But, you know, from my first experience to all through college um, and all the way up until probably I was married, a lot of it, um, a lot of it being about what it, what it looks like. Like, and it's hard to say that because I'm not like, I'm not, I don't think I, I wanted to like make sure that it looked good and I didn't really care what it looked like, but it was like. I know, just something that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're, as women, we're so programmed to know what that is. Right. We know the positions our bodies should be in with the butt out mm-hmm. and the boobs yeah. out. Yeah. We know to arch our backs. Right. We know to moan a certain way or to sigh a certain way. Right. We know sort of what to say. Um, right. We know. <laughs> Isn't that right. wild? It is wild and it's not, like I said, like I didn't see porn for the first, it it comes in micro bits in everyday media, pretty, you know, um, and that's, it is, it's fascinating, fascinating, but, uh, yeah, so I, um, I will say that I, I told, I, when I was at 22, I decided I was not going to get a job for the next 30 years without doing something in between, like travel around the world. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy who became a, clo- a relatively close friend of mine for a number of years after that. Um, and I remember being very open with him uh, about sex and all And I said to him, the first guy who can give me an orgasm, this is a ridiculous statement, but <laughs> an orgasm during intercourse, that will be the guy that I marry. That is so <laughs> fascinating that you had linked those two things together. And, and, and coincidentally or not, it happened. Like I'm married to that guy. But <laughs> oh my gosh. And is it something that you had told him? Like it was a goal that no. you were working towards? No. No, I, I think I only told this guy that I met, um, who I stayed linked to, uh, throughout my trip 
and then after and I'm not I I now we like say happy birthday to each other and I I know a little bit about and I send Christmas cards to him and stuff too but um and he was a number of years older than me but he was just a really he was a a, a good friend an important friend in my life you know mm-hmm. an influential friend even though I don't talk to him very often um in my life now but he was an influential friend for sure and what was that what was the importance of that for you that he would give you an orgasm during sex alone? I don't know. You know, to be quite honest, I just, I guess I felt like it was, well, I think it was equity. Like if I am going to have to, if sex is something that I have to do, then something, some part of it has to be pleasurable for me. And for me, it was an orgasm. Like it felt like, and I know we talk a lot about like orgasm, like, well, like we've talked about orgasm is like the social measurement the, almost yeah, yeah. of it. So that's in my head, but there is no denying that it's a good feeling. I, I mean, it, it is, yeah. you know? So I guess, um, I guess that's in my head. Like if I'm going to be doing this, then I would like that, you know? I feel like that's uh, equitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was in my head, you know. And it would, and if if that was something that could happen, then it would. It just it would be more pleasant, you know. Not that it was ever really that unpleasant. There were, I think, socially it was unpleasant. If that makes any sense, rather than not, not it was never physically unpleasant for me. What do you mean really? by that? I mean, I guess socially is not the right word. Definitely socially is probably not the right word, but you know, I found myself in situations where I ended up having sex with someone that I really didn't want to, but did it because that was what maybe I should have done. But then after it's over, like, no, you shouldn't have done that at the same time. And there was like, and there were two reasons for it. One reason is that uh, you're not supposed to just sleep with a random guy. The other reason is I didn't want to do that. <laughs> you know? right. But maybe like, it would have felt good in the moment. Like maybe you would have had right. an orgasm or it would have felt good. But then, so the physical feeling good was there, but it was wrapped up in a bunch of pressure and right. expectation and obligation and self-worth and ex- yeah. Right. So I don't know, a lot of... Uh... So I don't, I, I don't know. I think mostly it's like the, I just thought it would have been, um, cause we've all been told to that sex is such an important part of a marriage and, and you know, the way that you teach what sex is, it is an important part of a marriage. Right. But like the in out, you know, that's not important. Um, it really isn't when you break it down. No, um, nothing but magic just, happens with intercourse. Like right, the act right. of intercourse doesn't magically create some sort of connection in a relationship. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I guess in my head, I figured that if someone could give me an orgasm, then that would be a bit a better recipe for good sex, which is a better recipe for connection. And, you know, I guess if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does. So you've been married for 10 years now. What has it been like for you through this journey in terms of enjoying sex, wanting sex, sort of thing? Um, like through the 10 years? Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that um, there was a lot of a lot of show throughout. And I I, and I think always, I mean, we talk about, my husband loves to talk about how much I want to have sex all the time. And I'm like, but I don't remember that really being the thing. I think I just thought that we should, or like, you know, I really, when we first met, I mean, I really loved making out with him. And then it always felt like, you know, the next part, you know, it just goes to that, right? That's how, that's how it's supposed to go. So there it goes. You know, um, and I really honestly, I mean, I, I guess I, there's not, there's not been many times that I've regretted having sex with my husband, 
you know, there have been moments, there have been a few moments that I'm like, ugh, just do this. He'll be happy with it. And I'll get the orgasm and that makes me feel relaxed. So that's, it's fine, whatever, <laughs> you know, just do it. Cause that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and, uh, but I haven't during my pregnancies was the only time that I really wanted, you know, really wanted it for me, you know, and I, and I am trying to focus on, sorry, my dog is in here. And if she wasn't in here, she'd be crazy. So um, right now, after going through your class, I am working on trying to focus on that feeling of like, like I love, <laughs> I love, I think it was in your, I think it was in one of the your episodes of the podcast, like describing it as water. And it, that really rang a bell with me because I am someone who tries to drink a hundred, a hundred ounces of water every day. But I can understand how people don't want to drink <laughs> their water. You try and just make it a little more pleasant. It's good for you. No, water's good for you. Sex is good for you. There's lots of data out there that says that, mm -hmm. right? So I have been trying to focus on it as something that is good for me more than anything and trying to remember. And I was like, you did love it when you were pregnant. Like, Let's I'd love to love it like I did when I was in pregnant again. I don't think that can come back because now, you know, the results of the pregnancy were two little kids that take up a lot of time. <laughs> They're almost lead to the opposite of wanting. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. it's such a shift to go from sex is good for me, like if if I have this very formulaic intercourse type deal then somehow that's good for me like eating kale right. to I need to design the experience to be good for me right I need to make sure that it's nourishing that I need to make sure that it's satisfying fully satisfying mm -hmm. I need to make sure that it's rejuvenating and relaxing and gives me life gives me creativity Right. Otherwise, it's always going to be something that you dread because it's even if you do get the orgasm, if yeah. it's not truly fulfilling and it, and it's not really a need, a need in your life, then why <laughs> do it? So many things you could have been done. Like I could have gotten the laundry done, you know, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, I could have I could have read a couple more pages of my book. I don't know, <laughs> which seems and making those statements, it feels a little sad because it's um. It's supposed to be such a pleasurable thing. It can be a pleasurable yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 What you shared earlier that you recently had a MS diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What um what how how have these two things inter um like what is the intersection of having MS, having a uh, I don't know if you deal with chronic pain or chronic fatigue, and then how has that affected your sex life or have you like had to design it a certain way? Um, no, I, I am very fortunate in that I, I really don't have any symptoms. I like my life is not different. Um, I'm very fortunate that I just during COVID I decided I was, when did I 30, I was 38 when COVID started at 39. I was like, this is it. I'm getting healthy. Like I was already a relatively healthy person, but I wanted to take it to a new level. I'm like, I have to start a routine of exercise regularly, or I'm not going to age the way that I want to, which is strong and be around as long as I want, as long as I can. Um, and then I did that for two years. And then in September, I decided to take it to a new level and, and work with a trainer, which, and he has just exploded. And I am in a place where I never thought I could be. And it turns out that that was what I needed to do for my body in the future that got diagnosed with MS, you know? So I need to be as strong as possible, but I am very fortunate that I really, um, the reason why I even was looked at is because, um, after an illness, half my body went numb and it was numb and my torso went numb. So my right side was like numb from my hip down to my foot and my torso was numb. And, uh, and I also felt like I had shingles on the left side of my body. 
Um, and I kind of didn't, I was like, well, it's going away. It's going away. But I finally saw a neurologist and I had an MRI and he was like, oh yeah. So you see this and this and this and this, you have MS. I'm like, oh, great way of delivering that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he said, I mean, he's been looking at this stuff for 25 years and the treatments are so good now that, um, he, he said, he just, he doesn't think that I will be debilitated by this. It's very unlikely that I will be debilitated. So to go back to the question you actually asked was, um, it really made us really more focused on being uh, alleviating stress. Um, I have recognized that um, my little bit of numbness sensation will come back with stress. And I recognized this when we went to Las Vegas for the first time and I don't know how many years to meet friends. And I got into bed and I was like, I don't have any numbness or anything. Like I feel completely normal right now. I'm like, oh, probably because I just have a dinner reservation tomorrow and I can go to the gym if I want to. <laughs> like more trips to Vegas. No. <laughs> um, so it's really kind of dialed me into the need to be to really pay attention to my stress levels and giving myself more flexibility and time to focus on my pleasures, on my own pleasures that relieve that stress. Um, so that also led me to kind of step away from the political stuff that I was involved in a bit. Uh, but so I, again, like, trying to focus on sex as being one of those things that can, can ultimately just bring me a stress reliever as well, you know? So it's, yeah. it's baby steps towards that. Because... Yeah. I can imagine like a doctor diagnosed, like uh, prescribing that <laughs> More sex. once More a week, sex. Yeah. explore an intimate connection with your partner with the intention of pleasure and connection. <laughs> I yes. love it. Just to just before we end here, I want to circle back um, to the beginning of our conversation where you were talking about, um, you know, how we were talking about activism and feminism, and now you have two little kids, mm -hmm. and um, you know, you didn't get much sex education growing up, unfortunately, and now you're educating yourself. What are you going to do differently now? Well, I've already bought all the books. Like I started with, there's some, and I won't remember the names of the authors, but I remember the names of the books. Like there's a baby book about how babies are made. And that author has also written a book for adolescents and for teenagers. Um, so I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the baby book, but the, the, I think it's the adolescent book that's, it's called, you know, sex. That's what it's called, you know, and the next one, I don't know, but that's the one I remember the most. Um, is really trying to prepare myself very early to just have these open conversations. I mean, I when after you, after you went over the proper terminology of the vulva, you know, I made sure I was like, hey, Penn, you know, so I was incorrect about calling it a vagina that we've been calling a vagina for your whole life. We need to call it a vulva because the vagina is only one part of it. She's like, okay. The other day she's like, Mom, I got it right. It's the vulva. I'm like, we're already on a good path. You know, totally. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I'm going to do my best, but that's, I just put myself in a mindset of just talking. And when I hear an interview with someone who's talking very openly about sex with children, you know, oh, this is a, you know, then I'm going to, and if the ban, if the book's going to be banned, I definitely buy it, you know, <laughs> so, um, just, I'm just trying to keep myself very open from very early. So when we get to those points, when, um, when it's going to be critical that I, I am hoping that it will have more of the strength to be honest and open with my kids, you know? Yeah. Those little ongoing conversations that we do with anything else that we see as normal and natural, like eating or making friends or, you know, being nice to people. Uh, it's right. not just one big conversation that we download right. all of this, you know, information <laughs> about and then, okay, my job is over. I've done it. Right. 
it, which is how it felt for me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. Right. Get on birth control. That is the yes. most important thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nothing else. Just that's it. Then I can close my eyes and you do what you do. And I do what I do. <laughs> Did you ever talk to your parents about that time? No, no. And, um, I will say that I think with my dad, I kind of forced him into more adult conversations that he seems more, um, open to, I mean, I don't have a lot of them, but you know, if it comes up, like I just say it, you know, and he seems to be very open to that and open to conversation. And even, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my daughter, she, um, she, she is, she's happy to be naked, you know, and I'm not going to take that away from her. And uh, she comes running past my dad one day and he's like, what are you doing? She's like, you're a doctor. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why are you having a problem with being made naked? You're a doctor, you know? So, right. so I think I've kind of opened it a little bit with my dad I'm not so open with my mom she's a little more like she's embarrassed more easily Mm -hmm. you know so I just I don't have the same I don't have the same relationship with my mom as my dad she she wouldn't like that but to hear that but it's true yeah it's true yeah, everyone has different level of comfort. I think we can all relate to that because yeah. <laughs> these yeah. conversations are really tough and we're the first generation to be really broaching this and changing it. So good job us, Erin. Good job <laughs> us. We are doing yeah. amazing. <laughs> yes, trudging through. Trudging <laughs> through. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining me on this um, podcast conversation. And thank you all for listening. Um through this like wow we covered so many topics today that was fantastic (laughs) all right well I'll uh, talk to everyone in the next one bye if you've enjoyed this episode I have a favor to ask of you it's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex what would really really help is if you would leave a rating and a review and i know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts but please i beg you it would really really help so that more women who need this message will hear it all you have to do is go into your apple podcast app it's the purple icon and if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janadentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the waitlist, to learn more to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.